Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I will continue, as promised, the War Diaries. April 16, 2022, day 52. Jews will eat unleavened bread at Passover to symbolize their exodus from Egypt. In their haste to freedom, the ancient Hebrews didn't have enough time to wait for the bread to rise, but they still ate bread in the form of what we would call today crackers or matzah. They were practical. There was no waste. My favorite rabbi was Zeb Zalman Shachter Shalomi. Before he died, he and his very close friend, Father Thomas Keating, walked together to talk about God. It was a sensible conversation about the next generation and where they will take things when they feel so much that they have to move from the outside to the inside. Father Keating says, prayer of the heart presupposes some movement of trying to translate the symbols of the liturgy to some kind of experiential touch or awakening of the mystery that is present. It's not a good idea to get rid of ritual altogether, but to go through it, not around it, leads you to the mystery that's contained there to which it points. Reb Zalman offered his thoughts. The people saw and they went backward, but Moses went into the dark fog where God could be found, the Lord in his holy temple. Be silent before him, all the earth. What does it mean to feel so much that one is compelled to go from the outside to the inside? And what does that have to do with the residents here at Shehuf? I cannot say directly what it has to do with the residents here because I don't know specifically what troubles them. What I do know is that each of us have been thrust together in a destiny none of us would have ever imagined before the war. Before the war, by the way, is a common expression in Poland used to delineate what had once been a life of dreams and possibilities to what became a life of hardship and unthinkable loss. I was told that Marek Rostworowski said to his daughter, everything that was sweet was before the war, is no more. Julia and her son arrived on Wednesday night late. She was coming from Zaprazif by bus, train, and foot before she was collected at the border. Her son had special needs, though what they are exactly, I don't know. She had to leave behind her mother who stayed to care for the elderly grandmother who was not strong enough to make the journey. According to Julia, there is fighting in this area. Does she have a husband? I asked Paul, who replied, I don't know. I don't ask those kinds of questions. On the same day, we found out that Sasha, Natasha's son, has an inoperable brain tumor 
and has declined chemotherapy or was declined chemotherapy because his iron levels are not good. He is not strong enough to withstand the treatment. The doctor wrote out a prescription for hospice care, but our preference is that he be cared for here. He is only 36 years old. I took Cassia to the vet on Friday because she had found a tick on her dog and wanted to get medicine right away. I thought we were just going to run over and get the tablets, but she climbed into the car with the dog. When we got to the clinic, Cassia took her dog right into the examination room. She was in there for about 30 minutes, most of which this time, I presume, was spent in translation. We use our phones a lot for this. When she emerged, she was clearly holding back tears. I was very confused. She insisted on paying for the medicine herself, and before we could even get to the door, she had to sit in the waiting room chair because she was so overcome by emotion. I finally managed to get her into the backseat of the car, and together we spent another 30 minutes in translation, tears, and embrace. I held her for a long time. When she calmed down, she said, I was like Bapsia, Pani Bapsia Amber. Babsia means grandmother in Polish, Babas in Ukrainian. The vet told her that she would give her the medication for ticks and please, but even so with medication, there was a chance the dog would die in 10 days. This dog is Kasia's lifeline. She escaped with this dog, her son and her mother, all the way to Kharkiv. Pani Amber, I don't know what I would do if my little dog died. She is 11 years old and I love her so much. Poor Kasia happened to have a run run in with a woman who is probably a good veterinarian, but obviously one without an ounce, ounce of emotional intelligence. Yesterday, a hairdresser came to the house and cut most everyone's hair, including the children. Now all the women feel especially gorgeous and the children properly shorn. Today, we are having an Easter egg painting party. Alicia, the chess master, her family dyed the eggs, some in onion skins. The Ukrainians know their way around the eggs at Easter, as they are known around the globe for painting some of the most beautiful and decorative. Jordan, my nephew, and I will contribute our traditional family plate of delicious deviled eggs. Where will they take things when they feel so much? Prayer, silence, faith, hope, stillness, awe, know that I am God. Psalm 4610. My favorite day during Holy Week is on Saturday. It is the day following the lighting of the candles on Shabbat and the day I imagine that Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Klopas, mother, Mary, mother of James, and Salome would have kept close, spending their time together grieving, in prayer, no doubt, in periods of silence, alone with the memory of their beloved. Hope would come later for them, but not on the day of grieving, not on a day of loss. Here at Shehoof, one never knows from moment to moment what the next loss will be. The contacts back home are active and their information direct. We are all connected in the tapestry of human compassion. 52 days ago, we were complete strangers. Today, we live side by side. We eat together, sleep in the same building together cook in the kitchen together, we walk outside together, we grieve together.
Next Sunday is when the Ukrainians celebrate Easter. Paul has found a Polish Orthodox church in Kiels. It was very important not to find one that is Russian. To tell you the truth, I don't know what hope really means. My life has been fairly privileged. There has only been once in my life that I was called to bring the word hope into question, and that was when I almost lost my own son. Curiously, it didn't manifest as hope, rather as acceptance. Like in the serenity prayer, to accept the things I cannot change. For me, this is what it means to go inside and do the spade work. War Diaries, April 20th, 2022, day 56. This is a poem by Therese Shevchenko, 1848. If only I could see, if only I could see my fields and steps again, won't the good Lord let me in my old age be free? I'd go to Ukraine, I'd go back home. There they'd greet me, glad to see the old man. There I'd rest, I'd pray to God. There I'd, but why go on? There will be nothing. How am I to live in slavery with no hope? Do tell me, please, lest I go crazy. Paul and I visited Lviv about four years ago. We went on a pilgrimage to see the frescoes of St. Jan Rosen at the Armenian Cathedral of the Assumption of Mary and to stay at the George Hotel where Rose and Henry Kienwitz spent their honeymoon, as well where Rinia Rostbrowski's parents were married. The monument to Tarose Shimshiko, who wrote the poem, was within walking distance. I remember seeing it and have some recollection of pausing before it, curious to know who it was, but not curious enough to ask. Shevchenko was a revolutionary, a Ukrainian icon, not the kind that carried a gun, but the kind that wrote poetry, painted, dreamed of another world, and threatened imperial Russia with his thoughts and his words. He was born into serfdom, orphaned at 11, but was liberated from the bondage of slavery by a series of events chiefly the recognition that he had a rare talent for drawing at such a young age. Later, his poetry took notice. One of his early poems insulted Tsar Nicholas so badly that he was arrested and sent on a forced march to Ural Mountains. In exile, he was forbidden to draw, paint, or write. Tsar Nicholas took pleasure in confirming his sentence by personally signing it. In the official report, Shevchenko was accused of using the little Russian language, Ukrainian. And here's a poem, The Dream. To every man his destiny, his path before he lies. One man builds, one pulls to ruins, one with greedy eyes. Looks far out past the horizon, whether there remains some country he can seize and bear with them to his grave. That one of his own kinsmen robs by card playing in his home, when crouching on the corner wets his knife against his own brother, and that one quiet and sober, pious and God-fearing, would creep up, creep up like a kitten, 
wait until the time you're having some trouble, and then drive his claws deep into your liver. Useless to implore, for neither wife nor babes will move him. This is only the beginning of an epic poem he wrote in 1844 called The Dream, but the similarities to today are indisputable, striking, especially troubling, almost foreboding, is the last line written here, life nor babes will move him. When I think that of the 10 million refugees who have fled the Ukraine, that 90% are women and children, this last line is particularly chilling. Most of our residents left for Krakow at 6.30 this morning, hoping to be first in line when the consulate doors open. Each one needs some form or other essential to determining their specific status. A reliable but often cranky bus driver, Pan T, was here early to help load the 30 who were going. This has given me an excellent opportunity to let you know what's developing here at She Oof. We had an Easter egg painting party on Saturday. Both the children and adults anticipated, participated in painting the eggs. We served sandwiches, deviled eggs, chips, and sodas. Each child was given an Easter basket with chocolates and small toys. Afterwards, we sat around the table with one of our distinguished Ukrainian families, the family of Olesha and Masha, the painters, filmmakers, illustrators. Because Paul speaks Russian, Jordan and I were able to keep up with the conversation reasonably well as we talked about playwrights, poets, films, and finally, Russia. Oddly enough, the name of Taras Shevenko was never mentioned, perhaps because they thought we wouldn't have known about him, and indeed, they were right. But we talked about Tchaikovsky, who is from the Ukraine, and we talked about Chekhov and the cherry orchard, and how the cherry orchard is actually in the Ukraine. And we talked about, about how the Russians have for generations restricted the Ukrainian language by forbidding it to be spoken or ridiculing it as an inferior form of speech. It was one of those evenings where one is so absorbed with the conversation that our hardships were forgotten for those few hours. For that brief period of time, we were not thinking about war, resettlement, passports, money, lost family and friends, missing pets. We were there together, completely engaged. Out of this evening came a strong desire to create a community of artisans, craftsmen, and painters. What would that look like? I was tired of second guessing the war. I don't know why I had this ridiculous idea that I wouldn't feel as jumpy when the war changed its front and focus. It's moving further and further east, I said to myself. But of course I didn't feel better, not one bit so. I was so anxious yesterday that I could hardly quiet myself, even when lying down. When I ran into Paul's cousin at the grocery store, I burst into tears. So it is. It's like that sometimes. I mentioned my idea, however, to Jordan, and he had a better idea. I'm delighted to have him here with us. He's a good working guy, and he's willing to jump in with any task we have going on. He felt it wasn't a good idea to create an atmosphere of expectation where the residents would feel pressure to move on. 
I become very unpleasant myself when people tell me I should get over something or curb my emotions. So I understood immediately what Jordan was saying. His idea was to simply fix up one of the rooms in the ruin as an play as a place for our resident artists to have a space to go during the day. That's it. So simple. And he explained it for things to be as close to the way they were when they left the Ukraine. And not to make anyone think that we're doing this, especially for them, as this can cause a sense of obligation. We also have two or three women seamstresses and one who one whom I know enjoys knitting. We're thinking about buying some sewing machines and yarn and setting those up in the orangerie. Small steps, welcoming, simple. Last week, I realized that I mentioned Marek Frost-Borowski, and only a few of you know whom I'm talking about. Marek was the Minister of Culture in Poland after the war and Paul's mother's first cousin. Teresa Horodinska Rostborowski married Jan R. Marek's brother. Her parents were married at the George Hotel. Paul's parents spent their honeymoon there in 1939. Thank you so much for listening. I will continue next Monday. Hopefully this war will be over soon, but I will continue reading these, these beautiful essays by Amber. Thank you so much. <laughs>